you guys are today and to see the things that you guys are doing not only here but within foreign countries and uh, within the states. And so I'm thankful for your guys' uh, work here. But Georgetown, Kentucky is where uh, me and my family are uh, currently are and are planning a church. Uh, there are five of us now. The picture only has three. The picture needs updated. Uh, it's me. Uh, my name is Race Johnson. My wife, Rachel. My little man, Leo. He is two years old. And then one month ago, we had a set of twins. So they are one month old. So if I look like I haven't slept, I haven't. Uh, that's the stage of life we're in. Um, no, but we are extremely blessed. They're, the twins are really good, and uh, we are just over the moon about it. But we moved to Georgetown, Kentucky. Uh, I told your pastor our life has been a little crazy recently. Uh, we moved December 1st to Georgetown. It was about an hour move. And then when we got there, 15 days later, our twins came. Uh, and then after that, uh, about 15 days later, we started house church uh, within our house. We started having people over and started uh, trying to get a work going. So our lives have been uh, kind of crazy right now, but uh, this is what the Lord has called us to in this season. Uh, but we are planning a church in Georgetown, Kentucky. If you don't know what that is, uh, I don't blame you. There's not much reason to go to Kentucky. Uh, usually, the only time you're going to Kentucky is if you're driving through Kentucky. Uh, probably to go to the beach for you guys, because it is way too cold here. Um, but if, if you know where the Ark is, we're about 30 minutes south of the Ark. Or if you know where Lexington is, we're 30 minutes north of Lexington. Uh, Georgetown, Kentucky is uh, in a county called Scott County. And it is currently the fastest growing county within Kentucky. Uh, people are, are flooding there. There are jobs there. It's, it's a uh, rapidly growing community, and there's such a large need uh, for Bible-preaching churches. I was just out the other day just knocking on my neighbor's doors, just trying to get to meet people and, and get to know our neighbors. And out of all the neighbors I met, uh, two of them, I knocked on probably 30 doors, two of them went to church, uh, two families. And actually, it was just a wife that went to church. Uh, that, that's kind of the state that Georgetown is in. There's, there's a lot of churches, but uh, many of them are theatrical or they're dead churches. And so God called us there to, uh, to share the gospel, to disciple people, uh, and to raise up people uh, to then, as you guys said, replicate and disciple others. That's our heart. Uh, but God, let me give you the story about how God called us to Georgetown, Kentucky, um, people ask me all the time where I'm from, and I'm, I'm kind of a mutt. Uh, I'm kind of from everywhere. Uh, my dad was in the military, so we moved every two years. So can, uh, Maysville, Kentucky, was actually the longest I'd ever stayed in one place. It's seven years. And uh, I went there, and I stayed there, and I worked at a church, Faithway Baptist Church. Uh, the pastor is Pastor Kevin Bell. And so I was there for seven years as the assistant pastor, and uh, man, uh, me and my pastor were tight. We were uh, best friends, and I loved serving there. And my plan was, uh, for a while, just to stay there, um, but God had other plans. Uh, as early as I can remember from... Um, from the moment I gave my heart to Christ, I'd always wanted to be a missionary in Japan. That was my, that was my plan for all of ministry up until about, uh, about four or five years ago. And as I was, um, 
As I was pursuing this, I went over for a missions trip to Japan, uh, so much so that when I met my wife, I said, hey, if you're not going to be a missionary, if you're not going to go to Japan with me, like this is not going to work out. Uh, you need to find someone else. And obviously, we got married, so she was on board with it. Uh, but about two years into our marriage, God began to work in my heart, um, about a year in our marriage, God began to work in my heart, and, and we started to realize that perhaps this isn't what God had called me uh, to do. And that was kind of upsetting because I'd planned my whole life. I began to learn the language. I, I took trips over there. I started meeting people. I researched missions boards. I did all these things. And then God began to move our hearts into something else. And we eventually found out that that was church planning here in the States. And as we're uh, praying about what we are to do, um, I remember I was talking to a pastor. And I was like, man, I, I feel like... Maybe I, I might be called to go plant a church. And I was asking for wisdom. He's like, hey, if no one's going to follow you to go plant a church, that's probably a bad sign of your leadership. And I was like, all right, well, that's a starting point, so I'll pray about that. And so I began to pray, God, if you want me to start a church, if this is really what you want me to do, would you send someone with me? Maybe it was like my Aaron, or my, I needed an Aaron to go with me. And when I prayed that, a couple weeks later, or about a month later, I, I got done preaching at our church. Uh, in the AM service, and I went down, and a guy I had discipled uh, year, for years came up to me and was like, hey, can I talk to you real quick? And I'm, All right, sure. I didn't, the church didn't even know that I was going to plant a church yet. And he pulled me aside, and he said, hey, if you're ever going to go plant a church, I'm going with you. I was like, you shouldn't have said that. Because <laughs> you better start packing your bags. Uh, and the blessing is this, and this is why discipleship is so important, is I had discipled him, and God let, put it on his heart to go with us, and they moved down there. They're actually down there already uh, with us, and, and they're, man, they're faithful, and they just want to serve Christ, and it was someone that I had discipled. And guess what? The person, another person that came down with us was someone he discipled, and, and they all moved down with us uh, in order to plant this church, and so... Uh, that just shows you the value of discipleship. And so we, um, at, once God confirmed that in my heart, I was like, all right, this is, this is what we're meant to do. I talked with it, uh, about, about it with my preacher, and uh, we knew that this is what God had called us. But the, we didn't have a location. For my pastor, when he planted Faithway, it was like, man, this kind of glory shined on a map, and that was it. For me, it wasn't like that. I didn't know where I was supposed to plant a church. Uh, maybe around Lexington, so I went to Lexington, and uh, we started going to all these cities. We went to a place called Richmond, Kentucky, which is just south of there. And I was like, man, God, there's a lot of sinners here. Uh, like, there, there's a college. This is it. And I got back, and I was like, Pastor, like, this is it. He's like, are you 100% sure? I'm like, I'm like 99. He's like, no, are you 100% sure about this? I'm like, ah, No. And so we went to a place called Pikeville, Kentucky, which if you know that is, that's out in the sticks. And I got there, and I was like, this is not it. And so we left. I was like, I feel like the mountains are closing in on me. And then I went to a place called Nicholasville, which is basically Lexington. And I was like, ah, maybe this one's it. I was like, no, this. I was like, God, what do you want? I, I know you call me to this. Would you just tell me what you want so I can do it? And I remember one night being so full of anxiety. My wife is dead asleep. But I'm here racking my brain about what God wants me to do. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm over here building lists in my mind. Like, okay, God, this city has these things, and we're convicted about these. This city has these things. Okay, God, which one? 
and I heard nothing. I remember going to church the next day just so full of anxiety about trying to figure out what God wants. Because I don't want it to be my will. Because if it's my will, it's never going to work. I remember going and praying and asking God, what do you want from me? And I remember just surrendering my thoughts, these emotions that I had, this anxiety that I had. And here's what I learned. A lot of the times, anxiety is a symptom of an unsurrendered heart. You see, God wanted me to surrender my whole heart to him before he revealed the rest of the plan. And when I prayed that, God gave me a verse. I opened up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You don't have to go there. Um, And he says this, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. It's like, I'm trying to figure this all out. But God's like, hey, no, I'm the one who called you and I will be the one to guide you in my own time. Just trust me. Just be faithful to what I have called you to do. And the moment that I prayed that, there was just a peace that came over me. And the next day, see, I'm building this story, but you guys kind of already know the end, so it kind of ruins all of it. But the next day, we went to a city called Georgetown, Kentucky. I've never been there a day in my life. There was never a reason for me to go there. But I said, okay, I saw it on a map. I was like, all right, Rachel, let's go to this city. Let's try this one out. And uh, so we packed up the kid in the car, and we headed to this city. Now, as we're heading there, my wife tells me this. Any guy will get this. My wife tells me that she swore she told me before this event. But I tell her I never heard her say this. So as we're heading there, she says that she was talking to a lady in our church. And she was telling her about how God was moving us away from planning a church in Japan, be missionaries in Japan, and into something else. And here's what this lady told my wife. She said, well, maybe God doesn't want you to plant a church in Japan. Maybe he wants you to plant a church here in the States, maybe around a Japanese population, and maybe one day one of them will go. And she said that she grew up in a city called Georgetown, Kentucky, and that it has a large Japanese population because of the Toyota plant that's there. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Japan and Kentucky don't seem to, like, click together very well. You see, but that's the God we serve, that he can take desires, and and we pursue them in our own knowledge, but he's working things out and putting pieces that we can never fathom together. And as we're heading there, there was just, like, a piece that came over us that this is where we are meant to be, that... Uh, there was Japan, there was a college that, there, that was there, and we have a huge heart for college-age kids, and we didn't know that. And, and it was like everything was what it was supposed to be. And maybe that was my Shekinah glory moment, and we've never doubted from that moment to this that this is where God wanted us. Uh, and we were praying about where to get a house, and getting a house there is insane. I mean, it is like vultures and piranhas everywhere, trying to get every single house. We uh, saw a house. We decided to go see it, and uh, there were 50 other people going for the house. Uh, one house, and, and it was like that everywhere, every house you went to. Uh, with it being the fastest growing town and in the economy we're in, it's just, that's how it was. And so I'm like, all right, I guess we'll submit an application. And so we put an application. He said, he called me the next day, said, hey, we've narrowed it down to three people, and your family's one of them but I don't know how to choose between you guys, so I'm going to draw one of you out of a hat. I'm like, oh, why can't you just do that and then call me? And so he's like, hey, if I'll call you at 2.30, with who, if, if you're the winner, I'll call you at 2.30. If I don't call you, you didn't get it. 
I'm like, all right. And I hang up and I call my wife. I'm like, you better start praying right now. I'm like, Lord, if this is what you want, this is yours. And like, you just really wanted to make sure that, uh, that you did this. And so he called us back at 2.30 saying that we got the house and uh, it's, it's in the perfect spot. And as soon as we, we move in, of course, like we, boxes aren't even unpacked. I'm trying to like meet neighbors. And uh, one of our neighbors is actually Japanese, which was really cool how God worked that out and how God put him there. And so I pray that he would come to Christ. But uh, that is how we ended up in Georgetown. And it's just been uh, blessings. And uh, there's so many people around us just in our little subdivision uh, that, that don't know Christ, that don't have a church anywhere, that have looked for years and haven't found a church uh, that preaches the gospel and a church that is, uh, that is preaching doctrine. And so uh, pray for them, if you would. Pray for uh, just us as we're navigating, planning a church. This is the first time I've done this, so I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, but just pray that God would guide us and give us wisdom and the strength and the courage uh, to do what he has called us to do. And then pray for the people of Georgetown. Uh, I plead with you, pray that they would come to know Christ. Uh, so many of them, so many people that I've talked to just don't know Christ. Uh, but pray that they would, uh, that God would just set up divine appointments for us to meet people. But let's pray, and then we're going to open the scriptures. God, as we come before you, Lord, we know that your heart is that all would come to know you. God, your desire is that, uh, that we would declare the gospel. God, I pray that you give us the courage to do it, the faith to do it. God, I pray that you would uh, use your word to encourage your people tonight, to encourage us to be faithful with the gospel and faithful to do what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Open to Mark chapter number 10. As I was praying about what God would have me to preach on, he brought me to a text that Reminded me of my own testimony, a, a, a story of a young man who came to a crossroads and had to decide whether he would follow Christ or follow the comforts of this world. And it's the story of the rich young man, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17, Here, here's what it says. It says, and when he, Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. And so the rich young ruler, we usually give him a bad rap. We, he's usually, we, we've, immediately we go to that he's arrogant, he's prideful, and he is those things we'll come to find. But I think it's interesting of how he approached Jesus. He didn't approach Jesus as a Pharisee, who the Pharisees would, would come to Jesus just to try to get him to stumble and to prove something against Jesus or to hold something against Jesus. But he came running to Jesus and kneeled before him. There was a sense of genuineness to his pursuit of Jesus. That he truly thought that perhaps this master, this rabbi, knew something that he did not. 
perhaps that he could give him the answer that he's seeking. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And from that day to this, it's probably one of the most asked questions on the face of the earth. Why do you think we have so many religions, so many uh, different ways people pursue in, in an attempt to find God? They do it to find eternal life. But they will never find it outside of Christ. Look what Jesus says. Jesus tries to help him out. He says, and Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, Jesus was trying to help this young man out. He's trying to give him the answer before he said the next thing. But it kind of went over his head. It was kind of like when I was in art class. And when I would be in art class, I'm a terrible artist. Terrible artist. But whenever art class would start, I'd ask my art teacher, that, teens, this might help you out if you're a family art. I would ask my art teacher, to, hey, come over, can you help me draw this? And she'd draw the nose, and I'd wait a while. And I'd be, hey, can you come help me draw this? And she'd draw the eye. And then I'd wait a while. And then she'd come back. And I'd keep doing that until eventually the picture was finished. And she'd be like, wow, this is really good. Like, wow, you drew it. Thanks, A+. That's what Jesus was trying to do to this young man. Hey, let me give you the answer. The answer is there's none good. That this rich young man had a perception that he was better than he was. And the truth is, is that there's nothing righteous about you. There's nothing good about you. Your best work on your best day, the Bible calls filthy rags. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn eternal life. There's no amount of good works that will bring you to God. But this rich young man didn't quite get it. He responded, all these have I observed from my youth. Another passage records it, all these have I kept from my youth. Now, if you're a parent, you would know that your kids don't always obey perfectly. I didn't know this until I had kids. I thought I was always obedient as a child. I was, the, I was a perfect teenager. And then I had a kid, and he is not always obedient. We're in the terrible two phases. We have just entered into it. And man, I tell you what, it's a blessing. <laughs> but kids don't always obey, do they? Why? It's because we are born with a sin nature. We are born into sin. Uh, you, my son gets his sinful nature from me, and I get it from my father, and my father gets it from his father, all the way back to the garden, where mankind rebelled against their creator. In verse 21, and Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Man, if you have your Bible, underline that. Don't, don't skip over this part. Uh, think about what's happening right now. This rich young man has the audacity to stand before the creator of the world, the one who has seen and knows every sin that he has ever committed up until this point, and he has the audacity to stand before the only good and perfect and moral man on the earth and say, I'm not that bad. 
the arrogance and the pride behind that statement. But even in his pride, Jesus beholding him loved him. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loved you in the midst of your sin? In the midst of your pride? That you didn't have to clean yourself up, dress yourself up before you came to Christ. That he accepted you and brought you in and made you new and gave you a new heart. And put in you a new spirit and made you a new creature. creature. Jesus, beholding him, loved him. But Jesus knew his heart. And look what it says. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. I mean, what a deal. We look at this and we're like, this is awesome. But it wouldn't have been so awesome to him. Can you imagine this deal? Now remember, Jesus isn't being crucified yet, so the statement is a little ambiguous to this rich young man. But basically, the offer is this. Hey, sell all the comforts that you have. Come follow me. Jesus was homeless. He didn't really have a place. He didn't have a home. He traveled here and there. Hey, come follow me in a life of discomfort. And not only that, but come and take up your cross and die with me. Come die with me. You know, if the cross was simply death, it would be bearable. But the cross wasn't just death. The cross was prolonged suffering until exhaustion, until eventual death. Where they would beat you, where they would lash you on your back until your bones were exposed and force you to carry your cross to where you would eventually be crucified, where they would hang you on the cross and in the position that you would be in, you couldn't breathe. So you would have to pull yourself up on your nail-pierced hands with your back marred pulling on the cross until just to get your breath until exhaustion and you fall back down over and over and over until eventual death. That was what Jesus was offering him. That was the offer. But let me tell you this. If you were in this room and you're saved, you have accepted that offer. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I die Daily. It's about the struggle against sin. When man's like, I, I want to do this. I, I, I want to I pursue this sin. But no, I'm, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to the old person who I was is crucified with Christ. And I've put on the new man. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to strive against sin. I'm going to suffer in the flesh. But look at this next sentence and, and this is a sad one verse 22 and he was sad at the saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions anytime Christ offers you a crossroads between him and your own desires and you choose your desires you will always walk away grieved always and 10 years ago I came to a crossroads in my life where I could choose Christ 
where I could choose my own self. Like I said, my parents, my, uh, we moved all the time, so there's never much time for church. And when my parents eventually built a retirement house out in Mount Orb, we had gotten the rhythm of not going to church. And so it was easy just to stay out of church. And uh, I was about 13 when we built, they built a retirement home. And uh, like any good Baptist church, as soon as the house was built and we moved in, they were like knocking on our door. Like, hey, have you go to church anywhere? Like, man, there are boxes. We got a moving truck still here. Like, no, we don't go to church anywhere. And they invited us out, and it was Bible Baptist Church in Mount Orb. And so I was like, okay, well, my parents decided we'll go to this church. And so we went to this church, and the youth leader, Joey Ackerman, invited uh, us teens to go to camp, a week long of camp. I'm like, that sounds horrible. What, why would I want to go to a camp with a bunch of Christians? Like, what are we going to do? Hear messages and sing kumbaya? I do not want to go. I want to stay home and play Call of Duty. That's what I want to do with my summer. But my mom said this. She said, you can pack your bags or I'll pack them for you. Teens, I'm not letting my parents pack my bags. So I went. And uh, as soon as I got there, I would call my mom every day to try to come get her to come get me. Hey, come get me. I don't want to be here. There's a lot of messages. They're, they're like singing a lot. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what we're singing about. And I, I kept calling her, hey, can you come get me? And then the third day, she blocked my phone number. So I, there was no escape at that point. But I'm thankful she did that because it was that night that I gave my heart to Christ. I heard about Jesus. I heard about hell. And I heard that I needed a Savior. And I remember being super nervous and getting up and walking down the aisle and uh, giving my heart to him. Now, I wish I would have continued in church because it would have saved me a lot of grief. It would have saved me a lot of pain over the next four years. Uh, Over the next two years, my freshman and sophomore year, I kept in this back and forth battle. I would go to church occasionally when I had time, but my parents didn't go to church, so why should I? And whenever I'd go, I'd only see the pastor, and man, the pastor's borderline perfect. And I'd see the youth leader. I'm like, man, they got this all figured out. I was like, but I'm over here struggling. It's like, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to live this Christian life, but then I fail and I fall. And, and man, God must be disappointed in me this time. And, and I'd go to him, my like, God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to do it. Would you, would you forgive me? Give me another chance. And I, I didn't go to church to know that I don't live this life in my own strength. And so I'm in this back and forth battle with my flesh. And like, I want to live for God, but I keep falling. And I wasn't being discipled. So I, I came to this point where I was extremely frustrated. I was like, every other Christian has this figured out but me. And I remember going to the point in my junior year where I said, God, you know what? I'm done. I'm done living this life. I'm done trying to pursue you and failing. If I can't live for you, I'll live for myself. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, I, I never went to church. I became hostile towards anyone that talked about Jesus or anyone that would try to preach the gospel towards me. I've tried that, and it failed. And I walked away from God. And I went and pursued any desire that I had. And come my freshman year of college, I had walked away from God. But the weird part is, is my life was becoming more and more successful. Uh, Everything seemed I was living a dream. Uh, I had a car that was way too fast for a teenager to drive. 
I was going to the college that I wanted to. I was pursuing a degree in biochemical engineering. I was going to get the job that I wanted to. And it's like the girl that I was, uh, that I drool over in high school was living in the dorm room above me and she's texting me. And it's like, my life looks perfect on the outside, but I'm miserable. My parents were wealthy. So if I wanted something, I would just get it. But it's like, if I have all of these things, if I, I, I've pursued all this sin and done everything that I want to and withheld my heart from nothing, why am I so miserable? And I remember being in a dorm room just weeping. And I remember writing a note out to my parents, explaining to them why I wasn't going to be here anymore. And I planned, I'd planned it all out. And I was done. No one knew. My parents didn't know. My, my, the per closest person, one of my sisters, she didn't know. No one knew. But I was done. If I couldn't, if I couldn't live this life for Jesus, I was miserable doing that, but I, I tried to live it for myself, and I was miserable doing that, well, then maybe it's not worth living anymore. And that night, I opened one of the drawers, and I found a Bible in my dorm room. I didn't bring the Bible. I, I, to this day, I have no idea how it got in my dorm room. It was still in the box, still in the wrapping in the box. And I was like, well, might as well give it another shot. And so I remember opening up, and I didn't know anything about the Bible. I knew Jesus died for me and that Adam and Eve were naked. Those were the only two things that I knew about the scriptures. And so... I remember my, past, my youth director telling me this one chapter. He said he talked about this book of, called Philippians. And so I was like, well, uh, I'll go try to read this book. And so I went to this book, and I, I, uh, I began reading. And it was like the first time in my life that God was speaking to me out of the Scriptures. I'm thinking, God's done with me. Look at all the things. Look at all the rebellion that I've, I've, I've walked away from him. There's no way he can take me back. And I got to chapter 1, verse 6, and it says this, Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm like, God, you can't forgive me. Look at, look at what I've done. And I got to chapter 3, verse 16, and it says, uh, Forget those things which are behind, and press forth into those things which are before you. I was like, but God, I've tried to live this life in my own strength, and I can't do it. And then I got to chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it was like all the lights turned on in my head. I was like, I don't have to do this in my own strength. And I remember getting on my knees, just weeping, crying out to God, surrendering my whole life to him. I told him, God, whatever you want with my life, it's yours. It was the crossroads. And little did I know, but God took that one to the bank. I was planning to like, hey, I'll just go to church on Sundays. But he, he meant go into ministry. And uh, from that day to this, there was an old, old preacher named Preacher Smith uh, that, that decided to give a young guy that literally didn't know anything about the Bible, bring him on staff, train him. And uh, he has since went to be with the Lord, but um, because of the fruit of his labor and him trusting the Lord, now a church is being planted because he gave a young guy a chance. It was a crossroads. And from that day to this, Here's what I've learned. You will never give up anything for Christ in the gospel that he won't give you more, whether in this life or in the life to come. If you give your comfort, he'll give you grace. 
Look at this verse. Peter, in verse 28, says this. Then Peter began to say unto him, listen, we give Peter a bad rap because he just says what everyone's thinking, all right? Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Jesus, look how much I've given to the church. I've given up so much for you. Look at all this time. God, I serve every week. Uh, God, I give up my home. I give up my time. I give up my comforts. We've left all for you, Jesus. But look at what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold, listen, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. I think it's interesting. The young man, the rich young man, walked away before he actually got the answer to his question. If he would have just stayed a little longer, he would have got the answer. But he missed it. And let me tell you this. There is nothing you will give for the gospel that he won't give you more of. I remember my dorm room, God leading me to leave everything. Leave college leave everything that I was pursuing, all my dreams, all my ambitions, to leave it all and pursue ministry. I didn't even really know what that meant. I thought, like, they just talk about Jesus and the Bible on Sunday. I thought that's all that ministry was. But I remember he, he called me to do that, and I remember calling my parents and being like, hey, I'm dropping out of college to go serve at a church for free until one day maybe I'll have a chance to go on staff. My parents were livid. I remember there was a, a span of about three months where we just didn't talk because I couldn't understand the shift in my heart. But listen, what I didn't have in family, God gave me in the church. Uh, when I chose Christ over family, he gave me family in the church. Uh, there were people when tensions were rough during the holidays that took me in during the holidays and, and celebrated a holiday with me. Or when uh, things didn't work out at home, the church uh, chipped in and, and helped me get a place. The church became my family. And God will always give you more. Maybe not in this life, but he will always give more. And I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I preach against it. But if you believe the scriptures, hey, if you give up your comforts, and if you, if you start preaching Jesus at work, you're like, man, I'm just going to be unashamed of the gospel. It may look hard, but if you have faith, he will do far more than you could ever imagine. If you would give up your comfort for the gospel's sake, for his name's sake, he will give you more. If you give up your time for him, he'll give you back more. I love, uh, we filmed a series uh, with uh, Chelsea Mannion, a Bible series, and she talks about uh, she decided to give up more time for Jesus. And she, she couldn't really figure out how she was going to do it. She had a job. She had a baby. She had to keep the house clean and do, her chore, do the chores and do all these things. It's like, I really don't have time for this. But she just w stepped out on faith and said, God, okay, I'm, I'm just going to trust you with this and I'm going to give you this time. And the next day she got a call from her work saying that they were going to give her more time uh, off, paid time off, 
and that they were going to give her more time during the day. You see, when she surrendered to Jesus the time, Jesus actually gave her back more time. Do you believe that if you give up your comfort, that you give up your life, that Jesus would give you a more abundant one? But my question for you, and only you know this, is what is Jesus asking you to give up? What comfort, what care, what worry, what is Jesus asking you to give? To some of you, it might be your future, your plans. To some of you, it may be your comforts. But what is Christ calling you to give up? Won't, what won't matter in eternity is not the house you have. Your job won't matter in eternity. The money, your money won't matter in eternity. None of these things will matter. But what will matter is what you have given for the cause of Christ. The people that you lead to him, those things will last into eternity. I'm gonna challenge you all on this, and I challenge every church to this. My challenge is this. Find one person this week. You don't don't have to go running through the streets and, and yelling out, the gospel. Find one person this week. Pray about one person this week that you can share the gospel with. I'm praying you're already doing it. But find one person. Pray that God would give you one and share the gospel with them. Be intentional. Be sober-minded and look for that person. And if you get to share the gospel, I want you to send your pastor a message. I'm sure those are the best messages you get. I hope you all blow his phone up with people that you have shared the gospel with. But would you share the gospel with one person? Let's pray. We'll have a time of invitation. God.